You're listening to Everyday Evidence, presented by the American Occupational Therapy Association, helping the occupational therapy practitioner apply evidence to practice. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. Okay, today I am joined by Taylor Coyle and Kelly Tanner, who are part of a multi-site quality improvement project titled Implementing Parent Coaching in Occupational Therapy for Young Children with Cerebral Palsy, a multi-site project. Before we dive into this project, I wanted to ask if you could share with us a little bit about your background and what motivated each of you really to participate in this project. Sure. Well, I'm Kelly Tanner, and I'm a clinical researcher at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and I was the principal investigator for this project. My work really centers around how to implement best practices into pediatric rehabilitation and specifically occupational therapy, and I was motivated to make this multi-site project a success. I was fortunate to receive an implementation research grant from the American Occupational Therapy Foundation and to partner with the CP Foundation on this project. We worked with Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and Primary Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City on this project, which brings us to Taylor and her role. And I'm Taylor Coyle. Um, I am an advanced rehab clinician in our outpatient occupational therapy department at Primary Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City. And I was a lead for our site on the parent coaching project, Um, but motivation started once we got that initial email about the invitation to do this because I thought it was such an important project to be a part of. Absolutely. And I have to apologize. I forgot my manners. I didn't even thank you both for being on the show right off the bat. Um, I know you both have busy schedules and it really means a lot that you're taking time um, to participate in this. We're happy to be here. Yes. Thank you. Of course. Of course. Um, how did you or how do you even go about identifying the need for a quality improvement project? Yeah, so a little bit of backstory here. Um, Nationwide Children's Hospital had previously participated in an initiative to implement best practices for early diagnosis of cerebral palsy or CP, uh, which can now be made as young as nine as five months old. And this really led to patients coming to outpatient occupational therapy younger and younger with a CP diagnosis. We wanted to make sure that we were following the best evidence for these patients as they were often scoring in the average range for some of our developmental tests, even though we knew they would end up having motor delays and were scoring in the abnormal range for more qualitative tests of movement that are specific to an early CP diagnosis. So we did a literature review and ended up using a lot of the materials from AOTA's practice guidelines, particularly the guidance around children birth to five with motor delays. And looking at those practice guidelines, parent coaching really rose to the top as an evidence-based strategy that we wanted to implement for our patients two and younger with or at high risk for CP. And while the early intervention system has long used parent coaching as their primary model, 
we wanted to implement it across pediatric hospital-based outpatient care to help with carryover of parent education and home programming. I worked with my mentor, Dr. Natalie Maitri, to develop a plan using the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, or IHI model. And my mentor then connected me to the other sites in the CP Foundations network. Um, and one of those sites, Taylor's Institution, works closely with. So that's where Taylor and her team came in to make this multi-site project a success for their hospital as well. Awesome. Thank you for giving us some of that background. You mentioned the AOTA practice guidelines and um, IHI. Are there any other, is there any other evidence or, or resources that um, you found helpful in developing the quality improvement project? Definitely. So as we kind of dove into those practice guidelines and looking at parent coaching for early intervention, we really kind of honed in on Rush and Sheldon's model. So their book, which is the Early Childhood Coaching Handbook, is a great resource if you're interested in learning more about parent coaching. Uh, one thing that we noticed when we went through a lot of the methods of those articles that were included in the practice guideline was that although some of those articles use their own styles of parent coaching that they designed for the purposes of their study or their program, a lot of them linked back to or cited back to that Rush and Sheldon handbook as being sort of that main resource for how to do parent coaching. So I would definitely recommend checking that out. I know for me personally, I'm an outpatient pediatric um, practitioner, uh, so I am thrilled to learn more uh, about this project and learn about quality improvement in general, but also the specifics of this, this parent coaching model. How do you two hope that this project can enhance or encourage evidence-based or evidence-informed practice and quality improvement? I would say overall, we really hope that this project shows that quality improvement can help us make positive changes in occupational therapy practice and really to implement those best practices that the literature shows us we should be doing, but can be hard to systematically implement. The quality movement is huge in the medical model and especially in hospital-based practice. And we just want to make sure that occupational therapy is part of that conversation. And I think we really hope to show that this project was started with very small steps. And that's a great way to get that foot in the door and get change started. It doesn't have to happen all at once. And it can be these small pieces that you streamline into your practice. And then it just becomes every day. I love that. I love that. That sounds so similar to the OT process, starting with small steps and and eventually turning it into a habit and the mm -hmm. everyday. I want to dive now into some questions about the project itself. Uh, can you start by giving us an overview of how you structured um, the quality improvement process uh, and kind of the project design? Sure. So as I mentioned previously, we use the IHI methodology throughout the process. And again, that stands for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. So I'll talk about a few specific terms from that model and kind of where we use them in the process. We started with getting to know each site using tools like process flows and SWOT analyses. And SWOT stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. 
And then we had education sessions on the parent coaching model across all of the sites. And these were virtual because of COVID, but we really emphasized bringing practitioners into that education using case studies and talking through examples. And for each of the three sites that participated, we really had a tailored approach to our implementation. So I'm going to let Taylor share a little bit more about what her site's implementation process looked like. Yeah, so we were lucky enough um, with COVID that we had started monthly education meetings that were held online so that all of our practitioners could participate at their clinics. And so Kelly was able to come and do those education sessions as part of those And then following that, we had team meetings with the site leads where we used the plan, do, study, act cycles to determine what was going well and what we needed to change. We also developed a dragon template to make our documentation easier uh, and developed a specific goal to use with these patients that were receiving this type of care. So again, it was another signal to us that this was a family that we needed to be using this model with and documenting what we did and how we did it. And then we used Microsoft Teams a lot to keep the communication going across all of our sites that were participating. Thank you for kind of giving us a, a background of, of that design. Um, I know COVID-19 happened and and really um, threw a, a wrench in some of the plans, but uh, it seems like you were able to to really adapt to the new kind of circumstances and, and press forward with the project, uh, which is uh, a really valuable lesson, um, I think, for, for all our listeners to hear how you were able to do that. Kelly, you mentioned earlier that that parent coaching kind of emerged uh, from the AOTA practice guidelines as, as a great intervention to use. Um, can you mention one more time what parent coaching model was used um, and kind of describe that model a little more? Yes. So as I mentioned before, when we looked back at those methods sections of a lot of the different articles that were included in the birth to five practice guideline, many of them had their own specific programs that they developed and used. But many of them also cited back to Rush and Sheldon's early childhood coaching handbook. So we decided to go with that model and implement it across the sites. And the model includes five different components, which are action, observation, reflection, feedback, and joint planning. Um, And as Taylor mentioned, part of this was really focused on a lot of these parts many of our practitioners might have been doing in part, um, but really being intentional about following all five of those components and making sure that we were documenting them in our progress notes in a way that we could figure out later uh, how many notes included all five of those components. Are there any additional quality improvement resources that you used um, to really design and implement this project? First of all, we had a KDD or a key driver diagram um, that helped us organize the project. So key driver diagrams are a key tool for quality improvement, and they include um, three different columns. The first one is really your goal of exactly what you want to accomplish. And that's written very similarly to a SMART goal, something we might write for one of our own clients in practice. Then we have a list of key drivers, and these are typically nouns um, that are things that we think will help us reach our goal. 
For example, one of our key drivers was having administrative supports, such as electronic medical record templates that would help us reach our goal. We also had therapist education and buy-in on there, as well as parent buy-in. And finally, we have the third column in our key driver diagram, which is interventions. And those were all of the things that Taylor and I and all the other site leads did to make sure that we had everything in place. So these were things like creating the dragon template that Taylor mentioned um, and educating the therapists. So that key driver diagram was really one of the key tools that we used I'd say another key tool that we used was our control chart. And a control chart is another quality improvement tool that we use to track our data. Quality improvement projects are a little bit different from maybe your standard um, project because instead of looking at data before and after, we look at it throughout the entire project. So every time I met with Taylor's team, I would show them a graph of the percentage of um, documented components of parent coaching that we were seeing in the data. And this took a lot of data collection from Taylor's team to put everything into a central database, but then we could pull it out and see our progress as we went along. So those two tools, the key driver diagram and the control chart, were really instrumental in making this project a success. Those sound like wonderful tools. Um, can you tell us more about what each of your roles were in designing the project, how um, parent coaching was being provided, um, and really uh, what what it looked like um, when the rubber was meeting the road, I guess, uh, is a way to say it, how you were tracking that data and, and really pulling it. Yeah. So my role was really kind of the overall design along with my mentor, um, leading the education at each of the sites, which Taylor mentioned, and then coordinating all that data collection. So making sure that everybody who was putting in the information into our database was up to date with that. Um, I also led the ongoing meetings across the three participating sites, really helped process what was happening in the data, and then deciding where to go with our next plan, do, study, act cycle, and problem solving with the teams as questions came up. Yeah, and my role after that initial education from Kelly was helping to serve as a site lead and answer any questions that other practitioners might be having about implementing uh, this program. Uh, I created the Dragon template to help with that documentation. And then myself and our other practitioners worked closely with our manager, Valerie Duffin. Um, She was the one who helped coordinate things across all of our sites, and she entered all of our data for us. So the project included six sites, 24 therapists, Projects of this magnitude always take a village. You mentioned your roles in, in learning about the model, implementing it. Tell us more. I want to ask you, Taylor, more about this, this dragon template. What role did that play um, in really training these therapists? And, and how were you able to use that template to track uh, the implementation and, and outcomes of, of using the model? We use dragon templates a lot in our documentation system. And so the one that I created was meant to just get put in with our education tab that we have in our documentation. And it had a section for each of the elements within the coaching model. Um, So it just simply asked 
with action, observation, reflection, feedback, and joint planning. If those activities happened in the sessions and then a brief you know, description of what happened. And then we had um, the therapists also put their joint planning in there together. So it was really just a modification of what we were already doing within our education and our kind of assessment tabs, but just made it streamlined for therapists so that it was all in one place and they didn't have to think about how do I want to word this? And it made it easier for our manager to pull that data and say, oh yes, these things happened or they didn't happen. It sounds like that was really helpful for the day-to-day practitioner who, you know, will be interested in being a part of a a project or quality improvement like this, but also would be concerned that it might interrupt or or disrupt um, their typical day-to-day process uh, with documentation. Is is there anything else you can tell us about how you really streamlined and, and were able to carry out this quality improvement project with without adding a burden to the therapist? It was nice that it was kind of these pieces that we are already putting in our documentation. And so it was really just reiterating that it was a modification of how we were doing it. Um, And we already do chart reviews on a fairly regular basis for an in-depth review of making sure you have all those components in your documentation. And so it was just kind of an adjustment within that. And not all of our therapists use the Dragon template, but then they were able to just have that on a sticky note and they could copy and paste it into their documentation. So most therapists said it didn't add any time to their documentation, um, but just was kind of a shift, which they were able to do fairly easily. And I'll add too, Matt, that um, we started developing this parent coaching checklist for the documentation at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And part of the development was that we had people time how long it took them to fill out the checklist because we wanted to make sure that it wouldn't interfere with patient care or add any undue burden, like you mentioned. So I think including practitioners from the beginning to make sure that we weren't adding something that was just going to be additional busy work, but that would actually be of value to them and and not be a big burden was a really um, big part of making this a success. I love that. I love that. Thank you both so much. Um, how, how do you recommend practitioners can use a, a parent coaching model in their practice? Well, this specific project focused on children under the age of two with CP or suspected CP. I have had a lot of patients over that age limit or with a different diagnosis that I have been able to use these same concepts with. And it's been a great reminder for me that we're supporting the whole team. And that includes the parents, the caregivers, whoever else might be involved. And it was really helpful to think about that when we are talking about this home program that we're asking the families to do. And we know, evidence shows, that coming to a therapy session once a week, once every other week, we're going to make progress, but you're going to see more progress when that carryover is at home and in the community and in all these different environments that the child is in. And so it was really a good opportunity to remind ourselves how we can help make that difference for these kids. And I know there were other practitioners at our sites who said the same thing, that they had started to use these same concepts with a larger number of their patients. I love that. I love that. And 
I, I hate to keep revisiting documentation, um, but you're so right. Using a, a model like that uh, can really help with carryover and uh, is beneficial to patients uh, in so many ways. How does an OT practitioner ensure that they're documenting that effectively um, when, they, when they use the model in their practice? Yeah, well, I love talking about documentation, Matt, so I will happy to talk about documentation all day. Um, but as I mentioned before, we, we really had these five components that we wanted to capture um, in our progress notes. And the easiest way to make sure that they would all be in there was to have some sort of checklist that practitioners could go through. Um, and a lot of our practitioners reported also that not only did the checklist help them document effectively, it also helped them in the moment as kind of a reminder to make sure that they were following all five of those steps. Um, for example, the reflection step where you're asking a parent to sort of repeat back in their own words what you um, ask them to do or to provide some insight on the activity. Um, that's a part that sometimes we can skip over as we move right along to the, to the next activity. So a lot of our practitioners commented that having the five components written out was really helpful in the moment for them to follow all of those uh, components. Uh, as we were developing the checklist, I already mentioned that we had practitioners testing it. But another key thing that we did as well was meet with a parent for additional feedback to make sure we were capturing that parent perspective and all of the elements of parent coaching that parents felt were important to include. Um, I also want to mention that although we've been using the term parent throughout this discussion that we do have a variety of caregivers that bring their children that they take care of to us for care. And so all of our documentation was also very inclusive in terms of um, including any caregiver that was bringing a child for a session. So as the practitioner documented whether they did or did not use each of those components, as well as the specifics of what they did for, for each of the components in their session, they also filled out some parent-facing materials for the joint plan, which is deciding what we're going to do before we meet again, where, with what toys, with what frequency, all those WH questions. Um, and those were also part of the medical record to ensure that that joint plan was written down and accessible to everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much um, for those tips and, and outline of how uh, this was really carried out. Um, could, could you share a, an example from the project where implementing the model in this way uh, led to a positive outcome? Yeah, there's actually a kiddo at our site. Um, they started seeing another one of our practitioners to start and I have taken over care. Mom was a first time mom, um, infant with CP, and she came in just really feeling like she wasn't sure how to interact with her child and that the practitioners were the experts and that we should be the ones handling, doing all the things. And, you know, she kind of just felt scared about all of this. And it's a lot when you think about all this information that these families are getting at a very young age for these kiddos. And this model really helped us to help that mom feel more confident in what she was doing, but also helping her to recognize she is the expert on her child um, and really helping her to build that confidence, not only in 
the occupational therapy sessions, but across the board in any visit that she had with her child. Um, but we were able to work on positioning, identifying things that the parents and other caregivers had at home to be able to recreate some of those activities. Uh, we especially see so many parents in a session, you're doing something and they're on Amazon finding that toy and they're like, I bought it just now. And you're like, oh, but you didn't need to buy that toy. Like, there's probably something you have at home that can be very similar. So that piece of being able to do the joint planning of what are you going to do? What are you going to use? was really helpful for this mom to be able to recognize she had a lot of stuff at home already um, that she could use to to kind of meet these goals. And it was really great just to see over time her confidence build. And we've met those beginning goals and now we're working on new things. And she comes in every time just so excited. And that is awesome. That's uh, such a wonderful example. Um, and I think it really illustrates how a quality improvement initiative or, or project um, can help improve uh, the way that we empower um, the people that we work with uh, to really take control of their own care and the care that they provide to their children um, in this example. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, what, what impact did you see that the parent coaching model had on home program carryover and uh, patient outcomes overall in the project? Yeah, so we weren't able to measure patient level outcomes for this specific project, but anecdotally, I would say I definitely saw more carryover of these activities and having that joint plan documented was also a good reminder for the practitioner to check in on and say, hey, last time we talked about doing X, Y, Z at home. How did that go? And so it started that conversation really naturally about how have things been going at home? Where are we seeing difficulties and what can we do? But I would also add that we use episodes of care at Primary Children's Hospital. And that means that we will see these kiddos for a set number of visits, we'll work on these goals, but then we typically take a break because research has shown development, whether with a you know, typical kiddo or a kiddo who's experiencing some kind of difficulty, it's not this linear progression upwards. We're going to have these little moments of plateaus and we need to help these kids solidify those baseline skills before we start working on the next thing above it. And we routinely see parents having a difficult time with taking a break, especially for these younger kiddos. But I feel like this model really helped us increase that confidence with the parents where they recognized, no, we are in a good place and we're able to take that break. And I feel comfortable with what we're doing and what the next steps are. And I can come back to you when we need different help. I love that. Uh, what, what was really the overall impact of the quality improvement project um, at the site? Well, speaking for primary children's, I would say it really helped us as practitioners see that change happen and see it not only documented, but like visibly see it in our sessions. Um, the piece from Kelly being able to see that control uh, graph and see every time like, oh, this is what we are implementing or this is what we need to, to improve on was really beneficial as that general marker of we can do this and it doesn't have to be this big project that is really daunting. Yeah, I, th I think that visual cue can be 
you know, really helpful for implementing a project like this. Uh, Kelly, what, what would you say were some of the overall impacts that the project had at, 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 at the sites? Yeah. So our, really our first goal of how we got into this was seeing the age of diagnosis drop at our institutions and wanting to make sure that we were providing excellent care for these younger and younger patients with CP that we were seeing. And I think that we definitely met that goal in terms of giving our practitioners a toolbox of specific strategies to use to help their patients meet their motor development goals. Um, But in addition, similarly to what Taylor said, I think really learning the quality improvement process and the type of tools that we use for quality improvement, as well as really understanding what that data piece looks like, has really set our institution up, and I'm hoping the other institutions as well, uh, up for success in doing more quality improvement projects going forward in our occupational therapy departments. That's a great point. And just like you wanted the, you know, caregivers of these children to to carry over what they were learning and, and their home programs, uh, we want the same thing at each of these sites, uh, program carryover and continuing to be a part of that that quality improvement. Um, what what additional recommendations can you give the practitioners to incorporate quality improvement into their practice? So I think my biggest um, advice would just be to start small. Maybe there's something that is really bugging you that you feel like could be a better process. Um, So that could be a a great place to start. I think even just looking at your own caseload, if there's maybe something that you learned at a conference or through a continuing education session that you're really interested in implementing into your practice, Just starting with collecting some data and thinking about what it would mean to start using that practice on your own caseload would be a great place to start. Um, If there is a quality improvement or quality department where you work, I would also encourage you to reach out to those folks. Uh, Sometimes occupational therapy practitioners are included in those groups, and sometimes they just haven't heard about us yet. So that's a great opportunity to make some connections. I love that. And Taylor, same question for you. What recommendations would you give for practitioners to incorporate quality improvement or even to incorporate working uh, with parents and caregivers more into their practice? Yeah, I mean, I would second everything that Kelly said. Um, But in addition, I know as a practitioner, when you get a kiddo back, there's a lot of times you kind of just get focused on your plan, what you're doing, and it's easy to sometimes forget that the caregiver is there and present and that we should be pulling them into our sessions. And so this project was a really good reminder that we need to have those caregivers involved in our sessions in a variety of ways. Um, And that was, it was just a good piece to remind myself that I should be doing that more and get back to doing that practice because it feels way, way better once you're doing it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we've mentioned a number of resources that were used in this project. Uh, are there any other um, resources or materials that you would recommend to our listeners um, if they want to learn more about quality improvement or parent coaching? Yeah, a great place to start is uh, at AOTA's website, aota.org. There is a wonderful quality section of the website 
that actually links out to a lot of the resources that I've mentioned, uh, especially that Institute for Healthcare Improvement website. And their website is IHI.org. There's lots of free trainings on there and templates and articles about quality improvement that might help get you started. Um, And finally, I've already mentioned it, but Russian Sheldon's Early Childhood Coaching Handbook is a great resource, as well as AOTA's practice guidelines for children birth to five, if this is a population that you're working with. Wonderful. We'll do our best to link each of these resources in our episode description for our listeners. Well, we've arrived now at the Golden Nugget segment of the show. It's how we wrap things up. Um, Kelly, I I hope you remember this part of the show being a recurring guest. Um, But it's our last question. Uh, If you could recommend one thing to practitioners, what would it be? I would say that if you can make small changes to your documentation to help you um, support best practice, do it. It's such a small thing to change, but it's that continuous reminder that you're doing it um, and that it's there and it pops up for that patient and gives you that visual cue that we talked about. Um, it doesn't have to be this big change. It can be something as simple as one line in your documentation. Yeah. And I would say kind of on a similar note that I would um, tell practitioners to really look at the systems level if possible. One thing I learned from this project is that education alone does not create practice change. And you really need to figure out how to change those processes and create supports for best practice. So it might look similar to what we did with all of our electronic medical record documentation and education, but it, it might look different depending on what kind of system you're working in. I love that. Those are wonderful nuggets uh, to start with small changes and try and shift our focus to the um, systems level uh, to really make lasting uh, change. That's wonderful. Um, Thank you both so much for your time today and for being featured on the show. Uh, It was truly a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Matt. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Everyday Evidence. Tune in next time for more evidence-based practice insights and applications.